The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hey there, just a quick trigger warning and also a note about some of the content in this episode. Um, I just wanted to say that when we start talking about Inara in this episode, we do briefly mention um, rape um, and sexual assault in there. So trigger warning for that in this. Um, just wanted to make sure to put that out there. And also just a content warning. We do talk about some sexually explicit stuff in this, um, mainly sex work, but other explicit stuff. So this is probably not an appropriate episode for anyone under 18. So just wanted to make a note of that before the episode started. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this week's show. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. This week, we're going to be talking about the short-lived television show, Firefly. Um, But before we get into that, just a quick housekeeping note that we are taking listener support right now for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. If you want to support the show and help us get better audio equipment, help us get better editing equipment, all that kind of stuff, and if you also want to help out a charity... Um, At the same time, like I said, I'm going to pick one Black Lives Matter organization per month. I'm not sure what the organization is going to be for December. So if you have any suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. And also, we are going to hopefully have a store open soon with some merchandise with um, a new logo that has been designed for us. So it'll hopefully be coming, I'm hoping, by the end of December, early January. So then you'll see our logo change. And then you'll also be able to buy that, and some of those proceeds will go towards the show, and some of them towards charity as well. Okay, so let's go ahead and have everybody introduce themselves and tell me one thing that they're into in pop culture right now. Carla? Hi, I am, um, I'm a mess, really. Lately, I'm just like an emotional mess. So my current obsessions are uh, a trio of the Satter Bon Jovi music. Um, uh, David and Patrick scenes from from the creek, not Dawson's. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, getting sad about Firefly being canceled all over again. So it's just a smush of emotions. Now I'm just picturing David and Patrick on Dawson's Creek. I, I don't know how it works, <laughs> but it would have been a nice. <laughs> Can you just imagine David like? In the background, like, I don't want to wait. 
And he's like, Patrick, I love you. And Patrick's just like very emo because it has to be super emo for it to be Dawson's Creek. And there's like a close up and the music gets louder and louder. And you're just like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to change the channel now because before Chad Michael. No, that's the wrong show. Never mind. Ignore me. I just hate Dawson's Creek. James Vanderbeek. James Vanderbeek, yes, before he shows up and ruins everything. He does. His character does. Um, and Meg. I mean, Chad Michael Murray shows up and ruins everything, too. That's so. true. <laughs> true. You're, you're not up. I unmuted my mic too soon. That was. Oh, um, yeah. So I'm Meg, and. Um, I agree 100% about occasionally, like periodically, just getting really sad about Firefly. It's been 18 years and it still hurts. Um, but anyway, so other than rewatching Firefly for this, my 12 year old and I and my husband have been watching Lord of the Rings for her first time. And I'm actually missing the last hour of Return of the King right now. <laughs> So that's what I've been doing is uh, educating my daughter on the on the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we did an episode on Lord of the Rings, and I watched one movie for it, and I've yet to watch the <laughs> other. <laughs> They're great movies. So, um, did you watch Fellowship? Because that's that's the toughest. I don't one remember to honestly which one it was. <laughs> It's like that's like the Kevin Smith skit that he does about it where he's like, this is Lord of the Rings. And he just walks a little bit and he stops and he walks a little bit and he steps to the side and he walks a little bit and takes his ring off and throws it and goes shrugs. (laughs) Yep, that works. Nine hours to tell that story. (laughs) And Pasha, who hasn't been on in a while. It's nice to have you back. Pasha, what are you into pop culture wise? Um, I don't know if it's pop culture or not, but we just moved into a new house. So we've been watching lots of DIY crap on how to replace sinks and (laughs) all that stuff. And, um, I guess pop culture, my son, he, he's an adult, but he's a special needs guy and he gets very lonely lately. And so he has figured out zoom, how to let me watch his anime with him on zoom. And so I spent last night watching about four hours of uh, <laughs> my life as a slime or reincarnated as slime or something like that. And I'm not sure exactly what to take away from it other than he asked me, not as an adult now, but when he was younger, why it is that anime women are either very, very petite or really, really busty. And this is probably inappropriate. His friend chimed in. We were driving in the car from the back seat and says, the older guys that watch anime want the petite ones and the young teenagers like us want to see the busty ones. And I really couldn't argue with that. <laughs> I don't know. I think the old guys want to see busty ones too. Let's I, be real. Yeah. yeah. Who doesn't want to see boobs? I mean, pretty much. But, uh... <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, Sorry. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's basically about it. That and being exhausted from fixing up our house. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And then also coming in, who hasn't been on a long time as well, Sarah. Sarah, what are you into? Hi. I have been watching so much stuff. So <laughs> I finished watching Suits, which is a really good show, which also has Gina Torres in it. 
I totally fangirl her. Um, and then I've been on this weird kick. It's not pop culture at all. It's uh, I've watched every single Mount Everest movie and documentary and series out there, I think. <laughs> and it actually inspired me to plan a trip to base camp, not to hike Mount Everest. I do not <laughs> want to go up to, no, the, there's no way. But just the fact that there's over 500 people that go in one season and one in four don't come back. No thanks, Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it'd be a cool <laughs> challenge to go up to base camp. It's only 17,000 feet. So I'm like, I'm I'm going to do that in 2022 when the world actually is livable again and we can travel so that's kind of inspiring uh we also binge watched the entire series of um stranger things with our 12 year old daughter and she is totally fangirled the crap out of that so but the cool thing is is we've taken a lot of the science dynamics that they bring into the show like uh, Planck's Constant and Deprivation Tanks and all these other things. Joyce has made these amazing science experiments from that show that sh that can do more of uh, hands-on learning for Lydia, which is which has been super helpful with in, during this time because we kind of en unenrolled her from online school because it's so intense. So. Huh. That's been pretty cool. Um, other than that, I'm just taking it one day at a time. I had too many things yeah. going on this week, so as little as possible is what I'm going for. But um, it has been nice to rewatch um, Firefly to in preparation for this. And uh, I think one of my favorite characters in the show is actually one that I've been watching more of her more recent stuff is Kristen Hendricks, who is Saturn and a couple of and in a couple of the episodes. But she's in Mad Men, she's in Good Girls. Mm -hmm. We binge watched all of Girls, so that's a fun show. And um, so it's 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 nice seeing some overlap in some of the uh, shows that I'm enjoying. Yeah, yeah, and and suits. Yeah, I I love the show Suits. I I I need so to good. finish it though. It's funny because I have not finished it. I stopped at a certain point because there weren't any more episodes available or something, but I've got to mm -hmm. go back to that one. But yeah, I love that one. And then Stranger Things. Uh, you know, we recently did our episode on Stranger Things, and I I I have issues with the show, but I still love the show. And I that has one of my absolute favorite characters, Steve Harrington. I think what that show did with that character is just uh, he's. It's so awesome to see a character get redeemed, like in a really truly organic way, where it makes sense and it's not just fan service. So, right. yeah, but that's yeah. cool that it's also being used to teach Lydia. Yeah, it's okay. super so, cool. Yeah, and it's one thing that I have been pop pop culturing about actually is I mm -hmm. and I don't know how this slipped my mind, but I've been listening probably ten hours a day, <laughs> binge listening to uh, Crime Junkies, the podcast. Maybe if I mention them, they'll give you a shout out. <laughs> I'm a, a murderer magnet because every third or fourth story that they do, I have a direct, like, firsthand line contact. <laughs> they one about a Girl Scout camp when I was a little kid in Oklahoma, and this guy came in and unfortunately killed some Girl Scouts and the next year they opened a brand new camp and I was like their one of their very was their I have a 
picture of me being the first camper at the new camp because the old camp had murders in it. So, <laughs> but it's one of the biggest crime, true crime podcasts out there. So I, I've been binge listening to them. And, and uh, so maybe I can give a shout out through your podcast and, and, uh, and uh, just say, Hey, yeah. How's Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, And this is Aaron. And what I'm into is there's a podcast called The Renner Files. And it's all about the failed app that was created by Jeremy Renner. And it's a comedy podcast. And it's basically done in the style of true crime. So it's they take it, the two hosts do it very seriously. And you've got the same music that you would have in a true crime podcast. (laughs) Um, and you know, as I've stated before on here, I used to love Jeremy Renner. I mean, like, I don't know anyone who loved Jeremy Renner more than I loved Jeremy Renner and I don't like Jeremy Renner anymore. It's funny how I went from loving him to, I despise him. And this podcast is so interesting because it goes into, um, you know, it's funny, but it's also goes into how sometimes fans and celebrities can have this toxic relationship because when it's talking about this app and how, and these other celebrity apps that are basically created to use the fans to generate money and to get money. And they were making millions of dollars off of this app where they basically weren't getting really much of anything from it. So it's it's just really interesting about that. Um, also a couple of other things like, you know, this, this episode is going to end up having an explicit warning on it anyway, I think, but um, like they talk about how when Jeremy Renner was preparing for um, playing Jeffrey Dahmer, he masturbated to um, medical textbooks and medical <laughs> magazines to prepare for playing the role. So I thought that was interesting. Um, <laughs> something I maybe <laughs> Pasha's face right now. You can't see it, but Pasha's face is pretty incredible at that. But yeah, yeah, so that was that was really interesting, and it totally gave me the idea for we're going to do an episode next year about how sometimes the relationship between celebrity and fandom can be toxic. Because yeah, I mean, I could do a whole episode just on that podcast, but you know, <laughs> I won't do that. But yeah, it was it was very very interesting. It's only six episodes, so I recommend doing that. I binged it the other day, so I recommend that one. Okay, well, let's get into Firefly. I will say up front. I am not as passionate a fan of this show as the other panelists are. So I will say that I do like it. I'm just not, a, I, I totally had forgotten a lot about it until I <laughs> binged it like over the past few days. So I do want to put that out there first that I think the panel is going to probably have a lot more to say than I will. Um, but that's fine. I like that too. So, and also just to let you know, these, I want to give credit where credit is due. A lot of the notes from this podcast and ideas for this episode came strictly from Meg and Carla and a little bit from Pasha as well. So I just want to give you guys credit. Okay. So let's get into this episode and what we're going to start talking about first, talking about first, excuse me, is um, Mal and Machismo is one of the first topics we'll talk about because since he is the main character played by Nathan, Nathan Fillion, um, I want to get into him first. Carla, what are your thoughts? Mal, I think is a very interesting character and I I always loved him. And even before I think I grew as a person and, um, and as a feminist, uh, I just really, I, I love them kind of unquestioningly and that started to change. Well, it, there were a lot of things that made me uncomfortable when I watched the show at first. And now I have the words to put to what made me uncomfortable about him. And uh, there's a lot. 
And it's interesting to me how, you know, Joss Whedon is held up as this paragon of, um, or at least he was held up as this paragon of, of feminist storytelling. And he writes some really toxic male characters. And that that's, you know, all the way back to Buffy through Angel, through um, through Dollhouse, et cetera, and certainly and Firefly. And we don't get a lot of Mal. So we don't know where he might have ended up in a couple of seasons, whether he might have changed for the better. But again, it's Joss Whedon. So I really don't know how much better things would have gotten. But uh, yeah, so Mal is this guy who's, um, you know, this is the year what is it, like 25, 17, 35, 17? And things haven't seemed to have progressed much as far as uh, women standing in society and where men see themselves in that, um, in, in, in that, uh, I guess, thing, whatever. I can't find the word. That's okay. Um, but, Mal is what's called like a man's man. And he's the man's man that is uh, held up in, in Westerns where he's rugged and he walks around like all like guns in his holsters and an attitude and a long coat, which he looks very good. in, by the way, I'm not saying he doesn't cause he does, but the, the attitude surrounding him, which I think is, is all Joss Whedon is, uh, he is he considers himself superior in part because of the standing that being a man affords him and that's uh it goes everywhere from being the captain of the ship to being um to having been the sergeant during the the war to being um zoe's commander to just all of these things where he has all of this power and he just exudes this uh television masculinity i guess is the best way to put it because it's not this is the masculinity that's portrayed that's not necessarily seen except for the the cis men who look up to characters like this so and i I will say you know there are reasons why mal was one of my favorite characters period is because he does have a good heart and he does care about people he puts, as much as he may be kind of gruff, he does genuinely care about the people around him. Um, he puts the safety of those he cares about um, first, even in situations that are detrimental to him and to his possible liberty, even, and to his livelihood. But all of that is kind of under layers of <clears throat> of being uh, anti-feminist and anti-sex worker and uh, just the, the the idea that a man has to be to demonstrate to to not show feelings that he can't be soft he can't be there's that dichotomy between Wash and Mal where Wash is funny and sensitive and sweet but Mal is tough and rough and uh, kind of callous. Um, so uh, I'll go further with, with a comparison later, but um, yeah, I, I do wonder what might have happened with Mao down the line if the show had been allowed to flourish like it should have been Fox. Never forgive, never forget. Um, but where, we, where we're left is with that. 
just with this impression of a dude's dude who um who has it in a way who has everything kind of under control and when he doesn't it's not because of him necessarily it's because of outside forces um and meg yeah see i'm a lot more forgiving of mal than carla is (laughs) i love him but what i think is so interesting about what firefly is i've seen this show i can't even count how many times um and every time I watch it, I have a different kind of reaction and view from when I see it. And I still absolutely adore Mal in a lot of ways. He is very much that swashbuckling kind of hero that I think in 2002, when the show came out, was very much kind of what everyone was wanting to see. I think in the past 18 years, um, the real world has kind of not evolved too much, but enough where we can see the a lot of that problematic stuff that was maybe not talked about um, in 2002. Um, what's so interesting, Mal is so full of contradictions because I know Carl was talking about how he has this anti-sex worker kind of attitude and he has that specifically with Inara. And that's ba- like, he's not anti-sex worker when we look at Heart of Gold or anything like that. He just is against Dinara, which doesn't make it any better. Um, it makes it kind of possessive and gross in, in some ways, but again, we don't get a lot of time to watch these characters really develop and see where he would have gone beyond that. Um, I do love that he I love that he views himself as the caretaker of his crew and his people and things like that, and he has I think he has some softness to him. I don't think we get to see it very much. I think a lot of that is buried in his own his own trauma from being a war vet and all that other stuff and and feeling like he has to put on that front and be strong and be that traditional masculine character for in order to feel any sense of authority. But I had a lot more thoughts and they've all kind of flown out of my head. So I'm going to wait and then jump on somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) And Pasha. Um, Well, I agree. Joss Whedon was held up as like this feminist type of writer writing all these strong female characters, which he did. But he also had a lot of using the buzzword of toxic masculinity, but I mean, a lot of, of, of kind of subversive is, I don't know, just kind of undermining of the whole uh, strong female character kind of thing. Um, Like for instance, all the disparaging remarks around sex workers where he would mockingly call, um, you know, Inara, you know, all these, you know, self, these engrandizing terms and then turn around and call her a whore. So, um, and in, in the movie, in Serenity, I don't think we're going to get into that. We're going to do the focus on the TV show. He was not his usual funny, snarky, sarcastic, a little bit mean-spirited sometimes self. He had very little humor in that. He was just pretty much angry and and... Yeah, I mean, uh, it'd be interesting interesting to see the progression between, you know, as 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 a veteran and what he may have been going through as far as, um, yeah, 
as far as recovery from, from that kind of trauma and how that played into his progression from being kind of sarcastic and not taking things very seriously to being super serious in, in the movie. But Meg, you wanted to comment? I just wanted to, like, I, I just think it's really interesting. So I'm a huge dork. I read the comics of Firefly that came out between Firefly and Serenity. So it was actually really interesting. Like, I'm not, we're not going to get into it or anything like that. But those, the comics, if you're curious kind of about what happens in that middle time, the comics kind of go into that and what makes him be like this, like I said, fairly still kind of lighthearted with a lot of darkness in him to this complete and utter just asshole that he winds up being in Serenity. But that's all. I just wanted to plug. If you haven't read the comics, you guys, you should read them. They're good. You learn about book. <laughs> and Sarah. Um, I I like Mal. His, his character, for the first episode or two, he just kind of made, he rubs you the wrong way, but then he kind of grows on you because uh, he kind of gives a little bit of history when he's talking to Saffron in uh, the episode of, I think, when when he accidentally gets married, spoiler alert, um, he shares how he was raised by 20 different hands on a cattle ranch with his mom. And so that kind of gives a little bit of snippet of the, who he is. And he's just this pragmatic, chivalrous, everybody needs to be equal, level playing ground all the time in order for it to be a fair fight. So he's all about fairness, which is really interesting. It comes up quite a bit in how things uh, play out with his various shenanigans that he gets into. Um, he just wants things to be fair. Even 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 in the conversation with Saffron, where she, he describes that she needs an, the equality is just as everybody else to kill a person as well as live, you know? <laughs> so it's this... Um, I, I like that dynamic about him, and as as a as a veteran, I can't say we're fellow veterans because it's two totally different uh, fictional versus real. Um, but as a service member, I can say that um, with somebody who has anybody who has been in combat, they tend to have a lightheartedness and see things not as a really difficult situation. So there tends to be a lot of humor in these dark situations because I'm sure he's been in worse than where he's at. Even when he's being tortured by Niska, he's like, if you have company, I'll just come back later. It's fine. <laughs> you know, it's like, he doesn't want to put him out while he's being tortured. You know, I'll just come back later. So he's he's pragmatic. He's simple. He's, he's I actually find him very chivalrous and direct and i like that he's just so he's he's simple but he's not super macho and that really uh kind of speaks to him having zoe as his second in command and he's like no we can we can work together and be in a relationship with each other without it being sexual or sexualized um i'm also talking about the same episode where Niska tortures him and Wash, and of course we need to sleep together. We need to get rid of the sexual tension. It's like it's just he he jokes about it because he, it's not what he's looking for. He's not a high hypersexualized person, and so I think 
that comes out as he portrays various scenarios and um he kind of has a a sweet spot for zoe a sweet spot for kaylee and a sweet spot for anara and they come out in different ways and um yeah i like him (laughs) yeah no i agree a lot with what sarah said i'll just say a lot of ditto to that um and yeah, he has some of his like uh, macho crap, but to me, it's just a cover up. I don't think that's really at all who he is. Um, I think you see more of the true macho chauvinist stuff in Jane than you do in him ever. Um, and I, th- I think like I would say Jane might even be more of a fill in for jo- Joss Whedon than that. Uh, And Mal is. I think Mal is who Joss Whedon would want to be. But anyway, um, and I think in a lot of ways, what the character reminds me of and Nathan Fillion in general reminds me of Bruce Campbell all the time. I always think of them as the same kind of actor in that they can take these characters that may seem on paper to be chauvinistic jerks or may seem like they don't have a lot of depth. And then they can kind of add the humor. They can add this layer of heart to their to it, um, this layer of not taking themselves so seriously. Um, and you know, you can really see with with Mal in the in the episode where you see some flashbacks and where he first meets Kaylee, and when he just instantly is like, "Okay, you're going to be." the person who's going to be the mechanic here. You're going to be the one who's going to fix this ship. And without even a hesitation, there's not a second of like, okay, now how, now did you really do this? No, no questioning, no talking down to her, nothing. It's just this instantaneous decision and his relationship with Zoe. Of course, the only, the only part that I see any kind of issue with is his relationship with Anara. And I think it's because she, she totally scares the crap out of him. And I think that's a lot of what it is, is, is she makes him want to be more vulnerable. And so that, I think that scares him. That's the way I view it. Um, But I, I, I like him. I think he's very entertaining, but, and plus it's also probably my prejudice of just loving Nathan Fillion in general. I could watch him do anything and I'd be fine. So yeah. Yeah. Meg, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I just I adore Mal, and I think his thing with Nara is more a little boy tugging pigtails situation than I think it actually is him not respecting her. Um, doesn't mean I'm like, yay, that's totally cool or anything like that. But I don't think it's so much malice about her work as it is, like you said, Aaron, just being really scared of her. And and his feelings, because I don't think he's someone he is someone to me that seems to really fight getting attached to people. But he very, very much gets deeply, deeply attached to the people that he's around. You can see that even with with book. Mm -hmm. And he really doesn't want to have that relationship with book, but he does. Um, And I think it's just. I think it would have been really interesting if the show had continued to kind of see especially his and Inara's relationship kind of evolve because they both were kind of shitty to each other (laughs) about what each other did. Um, But anyway, yeah, that's all. I just, I don't want to, I wanted to make it clear that I absolutely adore Mal. I love him. I love Nathan Fillion. (laughs) He's problematic, but who's not? (laughs) 
So I want to actually get into um, Wash's character, and especially I want to get into um, Zoe as well, and his relationship not only with Zoe, but with Mal, but also I want to talk about Zoe in this whole thing too. Um, So what are your thoughts on all of that, Carla? So Wash and the relationship between Wash, Zoe, and Mal is so interesting to me. And just going back to Wash, he is he and Zoe are together my favorite characters in this whole show. They are my absolute favorite um, relationship, I think, on any show. Because their their love is so pure and so beautiful. And I, I, I adore watching them and their chemistry. Um, because they, they have really, like, magical chemistry. And I, I just, I, I can't deal with what happened to Wash in Serenity. In fact... I watched Serenity before I watched the show. I immediately went out and bought the DVD. Never watched it. Went straight to watching the show itself. Have watched that a million times. And I have Serenity sitting right here because I was going to watch it tonight. And I could not do it. But yeah, so so Wash is... is he's funny. And he is uh, self-deprecating, but not in a in a self-hateful kind of way. He adores Zoe in just the most beautiful way. There are, you know, um, there are so many um, aspirational boyfriend types and husband types on TV that are, that just, you know, like when you're older and you look back, you're like, why would I have wanted to be with somebody like that? Like, what was wrong with me? But, you know, I look back on Wash and I was like, yeah, yeah, I got it right. Yeah. Yeah, Wash is the guy. He's he's for me. Doesn't help that I've always had a crush on Alan because he he's just super cute to me. I just I love him so much. I I, I can't. Oh my god. Anyway, but um, and that's why for me, anytime that Wash expressed jealousy over Zoe's relationship with Mal, it just ran kind of false to me. It it it, it seemed kind of like the kind of thing that you throw in there to to write intention into a show into a dynamic. Um. And at the same time, I'm like, okay, I kind of get it because Zoe is this amazing, brave, uh, uh, smart, beautiful woman who uh, who really can handle things on her own and who is um, so close to to Mal and and to uh, his uh, and his basically his right-hand person for a reason where it, it kind of leads. is just that I, I can see how even despite all of that, he, he might think to himself, well, why does she put Mal's um, needs and the ship's needs so high up? Um, what about us and all of this? And, um, and, and that's just, I think it comes with, uh, with the loneliness of, of being in space and not knowing where you're going to find, you know, if, if dating is fraught enough on this earth, that was, I can't imagine dating in outer space where your prospects might be more limited, depending on what planet you're on. Um, and he found his perfect match, even though he had a horrible mustache um, when he met her. But Zoe herself, I, I, I puzzled over Zoe so much in just the years that I've that I've watched the show and and on the 
episode that Meg and I did on our podcast when we talked about um, Zoe, Mal, and Inara, I kept going back to, well, you know, the one thing with Zoe is that as amazing as she was, I, I still, you know, can I get past the fact that she's kind of married to the ship and married to the job? She may not have any designs on Mal her, himself, but she's really devoted to him, like really devoted to him. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I've never been in a situation where you have to kind of uh, hand your life over to somebody in the way that that um, Zoe and Mal have had to do for each other. So I, I, I don't know how deep that well goes, but just from my perspective, it, it, it just, it made me kind of sad for Wash to always be on the outside of that. Um, but even so, Zoe is one of my all-time favorite characters on any show. Um, and the way that Mal plays into that, because Mal is, is just kind of blissfully going on about being a captain -y dude. He's just like, I'm a captain. I'm captaining my ship. And I'm telling Zoe what to do because she's good at what she does. And I'm trusting Wash not to crash us. I am Mal. I'm going to captain the ship. And that's that's great that he has so much trust in Zoe that he doesn't even think twice before, you know, having her do this or that. And he takes her feedback into consideration. And they have this really, like, uh, flawless dynamic between the two of them. And then she and Wash have their own flawless dynamic. Um, so just, you know, every time that I watch it, I, I always kind of get caught up to the detriment of maybe other <laughs> characters, but I, I get very caught up in, in that dynamic and, and the three of them and how they work together, how they don't, don't work well together. Um, the episode war stories where, um, Wash and Mal are being tortured and Mal is keeping Wash alert and awake by making him jealous of himself and Zoe. It, it just... It was one of, one of my favorite episodes because he, he knows Wash's buttons um, and he he doesn't do it maliciously. He does it genuinely to to help his friends survive. But yeah, the, the that three-way dynamic is, is beautiful and oh my gosh, I would have loved to have seen more of it. I really would have. Like, that's one of those things that makes me the saddest about the show ending is that we didn't get to see more of that. I. Uh yeah, oh, Carla, you said so much. <laughs> Carla and I talk about this show a lot, so sometimes I'm afraid that I'm going to say the same thing over and over and over again. Um, I think that Wash and Zoe and Mal's dynamic between the three of them is incredibly interesting. Joss Whedon has said that Wash and Zoe, had the show continued, Wash and Zoe would be the only couple he ever had that would never break up. Um, and I think that's a really kind of interesting little tidbit. As far as, I think Wash's relationship with Mal really kind of changed after War Stories because I don't think I don't think Mal was trying to make him jealous so much as to keep his mind off of what was going on and to try and keep him focused while they were being tortured. <laughs> and uh, but I think I think it's really interesting. I really love that Zoe and Mal in my opinion, never really had any kind of sexual or romantic chemistry between them. It was a really solid, strong, platonic um, relationship between a man and a woman. And that 
kind of brother and sister in arms situation and that kind of bond that is developed by people who go into battle. And I think that's kind of why Wash's relationship with Mal um, changes and his attitude towards Mal and Zoe's relationship changes after war story, because that's something that he feels like he's finally a part of. I think he's always kind of felt like Carla said, separate from that and, and left out isn't really the right word, I guess, but I think it'd be really hard to be married to someone who has such a deep connection and bond to another person that regardless of gender, you just can't understand. And Wash is, Wash is probably the character I identify with the most on this entire show. I would 100% be the person playing with dinosaurs on a ship. Like that's 100% what I would be doing. I would absolutely be like, yeah, you guys go fight. I'm going to hang out back here, play, push some buttons and stuff. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm really just, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really kind of off this week as far as, as my ability to kind of form coherent thoughts, but I don't know. I, I love that there are three relationships. I, I understand the tension between Wash and Mal. I think it's really weird that in war stories, because that's where it kind of really comes to a head. I think it's kind of weird that they made it a, a sexual kind of thing that Wash was upset about in their fight. Um, because I never really felt any, like I said, I never really felt any kind of sexual tension between Zoe and Mal. Wash being jealous and upset about their, their past relationship. I could get behind way more than him just being like, when he is like, why didn't you just sleep with her? It's not the fact that you, that you, that you guys were whatever. It's like that you were together. I wish you had slept together because then she would at least know. And that just felt so weird to me. And I think part of that, and Carla said that it felt off to her when it became a sexual jealousy thing. Um, and, and this kind of goes into the network kind of screwing this show so much is apparently there were notes given to them to try and up the sexual tension between Mal and Zoe and to try and put cracks in Zoe <laughs> and Wash's relationship, which just felt icky to me. Because there's plenty, there was already plenty of sexual tension going on in that ship between like Kaylee and Simon, and between Mal and Inara, and Jane and Vera. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we needed to, to add that wrinkle. And I just, and I kind of liked, in my opinion, it kind of seemed like that scene where they're really awkwardly pretending that they were start going to make out was kind of Joss Whedon being like, ha, screw you. This is so wrong. It's, and we're, I'm going to show you how wrong it is. So that's that. Pasha. <clears throat> well, I mean, talk about relationship goals. <laughs> uh, my partner, Eli, um, uh, I made him sit down and watch, of course, Firefly from beginning to end and then later on Serenity and all, all this stuff, right? And one day I was kind of laughing because, yeah, I know how you feel about the dinosaurs and stuff because we actually do have toy dinosaurs and stuff <laughs> just laying around the house. And so here's Eli, this former Marine kind of queer AF like me guy with his nose piercing and, and his beard and everything looking very macho. And he was doing Wash's thing at the very beginning. And we shall call this, you know, um, and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden he takes the um, T-800 
T-Rex and has a little lightsaber from another set and tucks it under the T-Rex's arm and says, he's like, duh, it's called a lance from, um, <laughs> from Knight's Tale. And I was like, okay, yeah, Eli is the guy for me. It's, it's, it's done. It's done. So, um, <laughs> but, you know, I think that it's, one of those complicated relationships that I think Mel really cares about Wash as a friend and everything, but mostly because Zoe loves him and he sees how good that is for her. And because he loves Zoe, and I'm not talking about in a romantic way, but because she's family. I mean, not just like family, family, but like really family. And he wants, he loves her enough to love wash the way he does. And that's why he distracted him. I think so much when they were being tortured by Niska, by, by egging him on about being his jealousy with the purpose of distracting him away from the pain. And then when he comes in and and Niska says, choose which one. And without even a second's hesitation, she's like that one, that's the one I want. And I was watching that going, Oh my gosh, when, when will this happen for me? <laughs> and it took a dorky uh, uh, Marine veteran with a lightsaber and a T-Rex to, to, to make all my Wash and Zoe dreams come true. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it's relationship goals, man. It's, it's, it's no matter, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those timeless loves that I wish that the show had gone on and been able to explore when they were talking about family planning and stuff. And then later on, uh, you know, talk about heartbreak. Um, yeah. And I have a, a t-shirt that says I am a leaf on the wind and I wore it. I've been wearing it for a long time, but the first time Eli got it, he was like, Oh, and he actually got misty. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, that's really, there's really nothing. I think it's one of the most well-written relationships um, and dynamics within a relationship between the love and their marriage that is sometimes raw and honest and sometimes poetry about people being corpsified and, (laughs) but it's, it's just an amazing love. And then when you throw Mal in there, it, it, he doesn't diminish or minimize their love in any way, shape or form. He just wants to build that back up uh, as much as he can and be supportive. And so, you know, I think it's, it's a love of a different kind, but it's neat to see all the different kinds of love. There's nothing but love between the three of them. So that's basically my thoughts. And Sarah. I like their triad dynamic. It's really interesting. Um, seeing how they both empower each other to be in their own strengths and push they kind of push each other to be where they're at and honor where they're going and um i kind of agree with with everybody else with it with the episode where where wash and mal were being tortured that it really, they were trying to pull something out of that situation that was just awkward. It was super awkward. And it forced Wash to be like, oh, I love Mal. He's the hero. He's this. We got to save him. He'd leave no man behind. I think he, he just, I think in some ways Wash wanted to be included and understand their dynamic in a very particular way. And he got that. But 
it was so forced. It was very awkward. Um, so that's the only thing that I really did not like. Um, but I love that Wash can be this dorky little guy. And like, I love playing and seeing him play with his dinosaurs. We shall call it the land <laughs> and like super dorky. And I love how, um, in the, in the episode where he has a flashback, Mal has a flashback going back to when he first found Serenity and he was looking at it with Zoe and they were checking out all the different crew members and just how they all came about, which is a really interesting story. But just how Zoe was like, I don't like them. There's something weird about them. And that's usually how a lot of relationships work out at the beginning. You're like, I don't like this person because they're fucking weird, man. Like, they do weird things. There's some, something's going on. Uh, but that shows the evolution of how they they saw each other for who they were and respected where they're at. And like, there's no dynamic where everybody has to fit in this specific role as a wife. Like, there's sometimes when when Zoe chooses to be that wifely person, and then um, they they have their own unique dynamic, and it's the uh, that I find that very beautiful and. Mal is just this army buddy that, like, you get close to people in the military. Like, I've been around a bunch of guys that, and it was extremely non-sexual, but they were like my brothers, you know? And so I understand that dynamic, and that's not something everybody can immediately get, where you have somebody, like, they just get you. They just know you. You've been hanging out with each other in this awkward uncomfortable environment for months on end whether it be in combat or in training or somewhere else and you just get each other you just you're okay with just existing and being around each other and calling each other on your shit and it's it's uh really a relationship that most people don't get to experience in that capacity and so i think it kind of rubs people wrong and wrong in in certain ways because not everybody's been able to experience that so but I think Mal really supports Wash and Zoe in their relationship and I I love that (laughs) Wash is always like let's go on vacation we'll go feed the geese we'll just do this we'll just sit on the beach we'll do fun things he just wants to have time to just connect with Zoe and I love that they use his character to portray that dynamic because we often, especially in, in media and uh, various, and in any entertainment industry, the men are not wanting to connect with their partner in a particular way. It's always about sex or something else or how can I be the man, da 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 he actually genuinely just wants to be with her and spend time with her and enjoy her company and do these relaxing romantic things. And he'll, he'll take anything. (laughs) And it's, um, it, I find that quite endearing and it's not on Zoe's radar. It's not on Mal's radar and, but he keeps pushing for it. So I'm all for wash successfully getting his beach vacation feeding geese. Um, I don't really have much more to add than what everybody has said. I'll just say, I just want to say Gina Torres is amazing, 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 amazing. Preach. Yes, she is. So, I mean, I just love, I adore her. And 
you know, Sarah mentioned Suits earlier. Seriously, if you have not watched Suits, watch it just for her because she's just so incredible in that show. She's just amazing to watch. So I just want to shout out her performance. And I also just want to say I think it would have been total shame if they would have taken Fox's notes and made it be like a love triangle or made there be any kind of real sexual tension between the two of them because number one they didn't have any chemistry as far as that went they had friendship chemistry they did not have sexual chemistry number two it's just it's very rare that you see a relationship in media between a man and a woman where there's no sex involved it's very rare and since those relationships do exist in the real world Despite what When Harry Met Sally might have told you, those relationships really do exist. So it's nice to be able to see that. So that's that's all I'll, I'll add on to that. Um, and it's nice to see a healthy relationship also because you don't see that very often. We're equal partnership and everybody respects each other. So um, well, I'm going to move on to family here. And I want to talk about um, River and Simon. Um, Carla, your thoughts? You know, watching River and Simon and their um, their relationship, I, I, I just kept thinking back to, you know, I, I'm the oldest of three. Um, so I know what it's like to have younger siblings. I know what it's like to look out for them and, and try to take care of them. Um, and what it's like to jump when it looks like they might need rescuing. Um and I really thought that, you know, seeing Simon the way that he was with River was really beautiful. Um, it was uh, because she really did need rescuing. It wasn't some imagined thing. It wasn't some, you know, like, I'm the big brother. I'm going to, you know, rescue my sister. It, you know how it is in like a lot of, of shows and movies where, oh, no, she's dating what looks like the wrong guy. I'm going to go and make life living hell for her. No, she was being experimented upon by the government. So yeah, that justified some, um, some big time sibling jumping in and uh, his pride whenever he spoke about her and the, the care that he took with, with her and, and calming her down and um, never making her feel like a burden, which was very big to him. You could tell that, um, that he just genuinely loved his little sister and that he would do absolutely anything for her. And that's something that I really appreciated seeing on screen is, is seeing that, that just wonderful relationship between two siblings where the, um, where, where River trusts him so much and he is completely deserving of that trust. Um, and for me, you know, I, I wish that we had gotten to know so much more about River because I mean, by design, she's an enigma. She had to be in the entire run of um, of Firefly. And there wasn't much time to really get into a lot with her and Serenity. Although we do, we do learn a lot more about her and um, why she's being, why she's wanted, why she's being tracked and um, hunted down so hard. Um, but I, I just think that there's so much more to her beyond her the secrets that she knew about the alliance and um the quote unquote gifts that were awakened with all of the experimentation that they did on her all of the training that she underwent 
And, you know, it, it's a real crime that we didn't get to explore more about her because she she's one of the most interesting characters in the entire series. And this is, you know, the, the eternal um, question of where would this have gone had the show been allowed to go on? Um, and what would have happened with with Simon and you know as she uh as she continued in her journey of of kind of um coming to peace within herself i guess hopefully that's where i would have wanted that to go where would that leave simon and would he feel more free to pursue his own interests because i feel like in a lot of ways um his reluctance to kind of uh, explore his relationship with Kaylee. Yeah, it was a lot because he's terrible at social cues and awful at flirting. Oh my God, I thought I was bad at flirting. And then I saw Simon Tam and I was like, bro, here's my trophy that I've been holding on to for all these years because you deserve it so much more than I do. Um, But yeah, like, you know, if, you know, maybe a couple seasons down the line, he had been able to kind of let go a little bit of of the um of the uh not reins but if he had been able to let river go a little bit what could he have done with his life would he have stayed on serenity with river would he have tried to go somewhere else and and continue his mission to be a doctor because he was clearly passionate about um being a doctor and healing people and being there for people. And he's just, that's what, that's what really endeared um, him to me a lot was that uh, you, you first are uh, confronted by this snobby pretty boy from a rich family, but you get to know him. No, he genuinely cares. He's genuinely a good person. Um, so yeah, that's, those are my thoughts on them. Meg. Yeah, I think what I really love about Simon and River's relationship is it could have really easily been a toxic and codependent relationship. And they were written so beautifully um, that none of it felt that way. Like, yes, they they both did, especially Simon gave up a lot and sacrificed a lot um, for for each other. But it never felt like it was anything more than just a genuine, desperate love for each other. And I, I think we see a lot of that even when they're little kids, which shout out to Zach Efron, little baby Zach Efron. <laughs> but I think when you think about their, just how well they know each other, and they look to me like they seem both like very pretty lonely, isolated kids. They didn't, they didn't have a lot of playmates other than each other. The fact that Simon can tell from a letter when their parents are too busy that she's being hurt and him like I'm the younger sibling but I I mean I would do this for my sister but I don't think it would be with the near ferocity that my older sister would do this for me (laughs) because that's that kind of relationship Um, but he didn't think twice about his own personal kind of safety and happy he just knew the closest person to him was in trouble and they needed him and he 
and he went to get her and he did everything he could to protect her and keep her safe. When, and when he couldn't keep her safe, he climbed onto the stake to be burned with her. And that could, I think, and when we see something like that, that's where I'm like, this could really easily be seen as really toxic. And it could be seen as this really unnatural kind of bond with each other. And I, and, um, I just appreciate how this, their relationship was written so much. I think it would have been really cool to see more about River and, and I think we got to see a lot of really cool stuff about her and Serenity. And I think learning of the, the movie Serenity, not the episode, um, but learning about kind of how first how Simon got her out of the facility that she was in. And what happened to her to cause all of this trauma and to get more background uh, for that was really, really great to see. And I just, I absolutely, I love their relationship. I think Simon might be one of my least favorite characters. (laughs) I'm not going to lie, but it's definitely not because of a lack of loyalty and gentleness with his sister. I just think he gets hyper-focused on River. Rightfully so. I mean, she's gone through this horrible trauma. And he's the only person that she knows and trusts, and I understand that. Um, But I think where it's tough is the people he kind of hurts along the way, inadvertently, like Kaylee. So, yeah. Tasha. Well, I'm I'm the oldest sibling also, and so I know what that's like. Is it as annoying or, or how much of a pain in the ass our younger brothers and sisters and siblings are? In the end, we would pretty much give up everything to kind of bail them out or rescue them, and and um, and 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 I agree with you, Meg. Meg. He's probably my least favorite character, and I think I don't know if it's just because of Sean Mayer's sometimes awkward acting or that he was he if he maybe he did his job too well if he was supposed to be like you said uh that carla that kind of pretty boy kind of snobby-esque on around the edges kind of kind of guy then he did a great job um (laughs) but uh but you know his sister was definitely his soft spot and 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 it was a bond that you can read a lot into the parents are probably always on the way on vacation and blah, blah, blah. That's kind of stereotypical kind of tropey stuff. But at the same time, it allowed them to bond in a way that um, even if you're raised in this hoity-toity wealthy family and uh, neglect is neglect and, and, and through adversity, people create stronger relationships and that's a familial bond that is great. and. I, but I just never really took to him until I saw an episode uh, or was it Serenity when they went back through the recording at the very beginning and he says, she always liked to dance. And I went, oh, my God. And it just kind of broke my heart right there. I, I have to admit, I melted quite a bit that I never did it during the TV show for him. And I was like, oh, wow, that was that was a nice touch. Very yeah, good. he was way badass, way more badass in the movie than he yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's 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 pretty much. I mean, sometimes their relationship could feel a little bit tropey, but overall, it was 
it was something that was very strong and something that I could actually relate to being the oldest sibling and, and having younger siblings that were, were definitely frustrating, but always kind of needed my help a little bit more. So, yeah. And Sarah. Uh, Simon and River. I, I, I like River's character the most. Um, my brother and sister-in-law actually uh, named used her her name as my niece's middle name so that was pretty cool uh they're kind of i think they're kind of dorky fans on that stuff but um simon's really super awkward and um i can understand that he's all he's totally willing to do whatever he possibly can for his sister i'm the second oldest of seven siblings and to some extent i'll go all in for my siblings but then at some point I gotta let them let them ride um but uh I don't think we really got an opportunity to really see both either of those characters really fully developed um Simon is just this awkward dorky little boy that's of course obsessed with his sister and really focused on caring for her which is which is great but I think also the the dynamic of two really super hyper intelligent people that can be incredibly lonely um because a lot of people can't connect in that way um i think about uh, steve jobs or stephen hawking they had the most awkward time navigating relationships and but they were incredibly brilliant and um I didn't, and and I think that really you kind of see that play out with Simon with how awkward he is with Kaylee and he's super smart he's he knows what he's talking about but talking to people is just awkward in general and even Zoe brings that up just like well you're you were having problems talking to Kaylee well when aren't you having problems really talking to anyone at all so he's he's not always um articulate and having those relationships but he's definitely a strategic thinker and I know he definitely cares for River and uh, River you don't really start seeing her character really come out until towards the end of the season and that's when she's picking up the gun in the firefight with when they're taking over uh, Niska's ship to get Mal back and she's able to like be super badass woman and it, and that also comes up of course in serenity the movie um and how she ends up being the ultimate savior in that whole experience um not to give too much away but yeah it's it's interesting how she, he just lets her be he lets her just step into her power and it can be a delicate awkward process but it's authentic and um, it's more empowering and uh, organic, I guess you could say. I I love Simon. Um, I love how awkward he is. Um, I can be awkward in so in a lot of social situations, so I relate to that. Um, I'm an older sister, and as I have spoke a lot on our Supernatural episode, I you know I will put every everyone else below my sister if my sister needs something and 
you know, like I said on that episode, if you've done something to hurt my sister, well, you know, I will, I will be very furious with you, go after you. I, it's just, it's just the way it is. And I think it also, when you grow up in a single parent household, it's even more that way. Um, honestly, I think that that contributes a lot more to it. But what I want to say about their relationship is, and I know a couple of people have already spoken about this, is that even though Simon is very protective of his sister and he does a lot of stuff for his sister, there isn't this weird toxicity to it that you can see like on Supernatural, for instance. And we've talked about that before. That was a very, very, very toxic, toxic relationship between those two brothers. This is not a toxic relationship, in my opinion. This is more these two, they had no one and no one wanted to save her and, you know, he was going to save her. And I and yes, he puts aside a lot of his happiness for her, but it never seemed toxic to me. Um, It did. It did annoy me when I'd be because I ship him and Kaylee. And so it would annoy me in that aspect. I would just be like, oh, just come on. Just Um, just do something for yourself here and, and, you know, and treat Kaylee better, even though he didn't mean to hurt Kaylee, he never meant to, it was just, he doesn't know how to act in those situations. But so, yeah, so I, I like him a lot. I never found the acting weird at all. Um, I never, I don't know. I liked him more than, I liked him more than a lot of the characters, to be honest. Um, and I, I don't know why that is because, you know, normally the rich, snobby characters, I don't really connect to them. But to me, he didn't seem rich and snobby, even though he was rich and maybe had that snob, but he never appeared that way. And the episode where, I mean, everything goes south, of course, after that. But when they bring out, when Kaylee brings out the birthday cake, they're going to say happy birthday to him. And the look on his face was like, I've never had this before. I don't I don't know what this is. I've never had people care about me like this before that are strangers that aren't River. And so that was so beautiful to see, especially since he loves his sister so much. But at this time in the show, when you're watching it, he can't really connect to his sister anyway in the way that he wants to because she's dealing with everything that was done to her. So he can't have that same connection. So to be able to find that in people that have taken him in even though there are certain people on the ship that want to get him off the ship and his sister off the ship to be able to have that. And that look on his face was just, it was so sweet. So yeah. So I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. That was my favorite episode. (laughs) Out of gas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like that episode. Okay. Well, let's get into Kaylee then and talk about her some and um, the, you know, Soft, naive, sweet woman doing stereotypical, quote unquote, man stuff. Um, what are your thoughts, Carla? I love Kaylee. You know, when when I first watched the the movie and then the series, um, like I said, I, I wanted that Wash Zoe relationship for myself. But I was like, okay, but I'm kind of more like Kaylee, so can it be geared towards a Kaylee type? Because I was kind of, you know, naive and, and just soft. And I, I, I did a lot of things that, that people would consider man stuff. Like I was, you know, a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. And and I would, you know, dress in uh, non, um, uh, what's it called? Socially acceptable ways for a woman, I guess. So I, I was always more about um, 
boots and flannels and that kind of thing. Um, so I really identified with her so much because she's amazing at these really cool things, but she she's still uh, her heart is still just so so vast and open and um, and accepting and giving even in this wild, wild west outer space place where things are dangerous and rough and you never know who to trust. She would put her trust, all of her trust, in these people who, you know, you saw Buck when he first came on. He was like, I don't know what I just got into. But Kaylee's like, oh, no, 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 everything's everything's good. And I, I think a lot of of the reason why you feel comfortable with Mal and with the dynamic with all of these people is because you're seeing them kind of through Kaylee's eyes. You're seeing Serenity through Kaylee's eyes. Um, in the first episode, you have her, you know, Mal is going in there talking about how we have to stow these stolen goods. And I don't think that, that there's a power in the verse that can get Kaylee to stop being such a, a sunny person. And she just, you know, just goes up to him and gives him this little kiss. And she's like, I love my captain. And she's so sincere about it. Like the, it, it's, you know, it, it's a little bit snark. It's a little, it, it's, but it's mostly true. It's, she just really loves Mal. She loves her, her crew and she loves her ship. She really loves her ship. And uh, I, I just, I, I adore everything about her, about how uh, um, there's no guile to her, just none. There's no artifice to her. When you, when you have her, uh, when I think about her and Inara, because Inara is, uh, she is her own enigma. And it's in part because she has had all of this companion training. So a lot of her behavior towards people, whether she cares for them or not, genuinely, there's a lot of uh, ritual to it. And there's a lot of practice in those interactions. Um but with Kaylee, there is none of that. There's there's none of that artifice. There's none of that training. It's just she loves who she loves. She'll she'll take care of her beloved ship, um, and she'll wear a super fluffy dress to a party, and then talk uh, spaceships with all of the the old dudes there. And that's the the person that I wanted to be, and that's the person that I kind of was, and I really appreciated seeing kind of that on the screen and just that, that she just got to be that. Meg. Yeah. I think without Kaylee, that entire show would have completely fallen apart um, as well as everyone on the ship. Because if you think about it, Kaylee is really what makes them a family. She is everybody's little sister, no matter what, tensions or issues anybody has on that ship with each other Kaylee is always Kaylee is really the heart I think of of the whole show and I I love her so much she is so just she's such a wonderful compilation of contradictions isn't the right word but she feels so real as a character, she is like, like Carla said, she can sit there in a really big poofy, floofy dress and hold her own with a bunch of men and not only hold her own, but like educate them and be respected by them. And we all know how hard it is to be respected by old white dudes. <laughs> 
Um, but she's also she's very sex positive. She's she doesn't have any shame in in her body and her sexuality, which is so funny for me because I think of her and I'm like, she's like a baby, but she's not. She's a full grown woman, but she's just she's adorable and she has, like you said, Carl, she has no she doesn't seem to have any guile. She is so authentic and she doesn't have any time for nonsense. She has no time for Simon's nonsense. She has no time for any bickering that's going on. She just wants to make her ship work. She wants to get laid. <laughs> and, but I think, I think, and because as you were talking, Carla, I was kind of thinking about it. This show would not work without this character. Um, because she's just, she's so open and she's so honest. And of everybody on that ship, I feel like she's the one who has the fewest secrets. You know, she, I love how she got on the ship. I love how we find out that she got on the ship and out of gas because she was sleeping with the mechanic who didn't know what he was doing. And she's like, no, this is fine. And just two seconds later, I just, I thought it was wonderful. I think she's a a very subversive character, kind of, when we think of gender stereotypes. And this is one of the things, this is what kills me because this is what kills me about Joss Whedon because he does write these asshole characters, but then he writes and creates people like Kaylee who isn't like, she isn't a badass like Zoe. She's not a warrior like River or, or Zoe even. And she's just, she's so vulnerable, but so strong in her own way. She's, she's the emotional core of the entire show and i just i just love her so much (laughs) (laughs) basha well i think y'all have summed her up pretty well i i just i love that she's a very authentic character and i I personally, just projecting my own stuff, uh, feel like I'm most like washed, just silly and and just awkward. But I would love to be more like Kaylee because she is always honest because there's nothing she has that she feels like she needs to be ashamed of. And so many of us are ashamed of wearing masculine-ish type, you know, whatever, or we're ashamed of, uh, we're, we're hesitant to put out our knowledge and be kind of stronger like that but at the same time want to wear a poofy dress and be pretty you know and and it it feels like as a woman oftentimes those are choices I've, I've been put in front that are in front of me either you can be strong and knowledgeable or you can be pretty one or the other and and I love that she is not only okay with being vulnerable enough and she doesn't even see it as a vulnerability to say, oh, I want that poofy, red, uh, that poofy, frilly pink dress versus, you know, and in the same breath, be okay and talk about, you know, you said you're going to put a warning on this, right? <laughs> talk about vibrators and, 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 and stuff like that, um, that she talks about, you know, blatantly uses words that are very honest about, you know, using words like sex instead of, 
you know, making love and all that, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it's kind of, it's very refreshing and kind of honest and, and, and endearing. And you want to just think that she's this gentle little thing and take care of her and, and hold her and hug her the same way you kind of want to do with River. But underneath it all, River's kind of a badass killing machine. And underneath it all, and not even on, just right there on the surface, because everything with Kaylee is right there on the surface. Um, there's no, I don't think she's capable of just being dishonest. And, you know, she's, she just, and she reads people really well. She's actually quite, you know, sophisticated in a way we don't expect sometimes the way that she was able to read Shepard book and and say, you know, you're going to fly with us, you know, and, and you like ships. I mean, she's, she's definitely smart as a whip, but I just liked how she's just completely open and never ashamed of being completely open. And I envy that. I, I, I wish that I could be more like that and not always so guarded with what I, I say and how I say it. And if I, you know, granted, <laughs> I may be more open, openly uh, open-minded and speak more openly about things like vibrators, but <laughs> instead I won't talk about my emotions so much or depression. And so, so it's kind of neat that she's able to be open about it all and and it and it's kind of who I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. Sarah. I can relate to her character just a little bit of uh, this mixed balance of honoring what it's like to be feminine and then honoring what really is who you are and um <laughs> One of my favorite scenes is how she's like rummaging through the junkyard with Wash. And she's like, oh, nobody asked me if I wanted to go shopping at this this thing, this store. And then she's like, oh, a such and such. And then she's like all excited about these parts that she finds. And she, I think she forgets that a lot of the things that make her happy is having a purpose and having... Um, something that she's really super innately good at she just knows it and she takes such pride in her ability to take care of that ship especially in the episode where um the catalyst or whatever or converter or whatever goes out and starts that fire she's just devastated that she's like I normally know when something's wrong with the ship and like I'm sorry I couldn't keep her up and running and and so she takes such pride in 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 what she does it's part of who she is and but I can definitely relate to um wearing men's clothes all the time and then there's one or two times a year you know I just want to look pretty you know I want to look pretty every once in a while and Usually I wear one dress a year. Last year was my wedding dress. So I can relate to that extensively. Um, But yeah, she's, she's very genuine. She's very honest. And I like how she just sees people for where they are, where they're at and nothing phases her. One particular scene that stands out to me is when she, when Wash and Zoe are picking up Mal after he gets stuck out in the desert after, um, saffron leaves her out in the middle of the desert and he's naked and they're just like oh my god he's naked he's naked oh my god i mean i'm just gonna run away and she's like good job captain 
doesn't even look at him. She's like, this is how it is. You're just you. And it's, it's very, it's very authentic. And she just sees people for where they're at and nothing is an issue for, for her. So I definitely appreciate that about her character. She's probably my favorite character on the show. Um, and what I love about her is, I mean, I second what everybody has said, but what I love is it's very, very rare. In fact, I can't think of a single other character that would be this character where she's so, she's sweet and yet, you know, she, she might not appear to be girly on the surface or whatever. And, and, uh, and, and she's also, you know, very skilled mechanic, all that stuff. You would very rarely see a character like that be so free with their sexuality at the same time. And the fact that they actually show a scene where the first time she's ever on the ship, she's having sex with the mechanic who gets fired. I mean, that I was like blown away the first time I saw that because that's very rare. A character like that usually would be sexless, honestly, on a show like on any show she would be the really cute girl who you know maybe she'll sneak a kiss in there and you know no matter her age she would be portrayed as somebody who wasn't sexual and that's what I really appreciate the most about her character is she's so free and open and honest with her sexuality and she had no embarrassment getting caught on the ship having sex she had she she doesn't feel at all like embarrassed when she's talking with Anara when Anara's like I think was doing her hair or I can't remember exactly yeah that and there was just something about that that was I don't know there was some intimacy there I'm not saying sexual intimacy but there was intimacy there where she didn't have this feeling of like she doesn't shame anyone she has no shame she doesn't care about any of that and that's so rare to see and that's why it's so disheartening to know who Joss Whedon really is in real life because the fact that he would create a character like that and then ah, be such a prick is just oh it's so hard to deal with that because she's such a great character she's such a great woman to see on screen and for women to see that and young girls to see that I mean I'm not saying young young kids should necessarily watch the show but I'm just saying for women to see that is very empowering so yeah so I I love her she's definitely my favorite character on the show I would say so yeah I love her I love when she sees Inara with her female client and she's like they look yeah. so mm-hmm. together and then when they go to in heart in the heart of gold episode when she's like man whores isn't that considerate <laughs> <laughs> and I so I just love that she's just but it didn't seem judgmental. I mean, she was like, no. oh, cool. She was really grateful. Cool. So there you go. She, well, you could tell she was also like, well, well, one of them, maybe I could hook up with one of them or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was yeah. genuinely so excited. She was. <laughs> she was. She was. And, and it was so funny when she was like, oh, that is so considerate. Like, that's so <laughs> nice of them to think of us or other, like, they have all tastes in mind, and that's so great. <laughs> oh, I love her. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And I do want to say really, I mean, she is a very confident person, but you can see some of her vulnerability at times. Like when she asks Wash, am I pretty? Do you think I'm pretty? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he says, you know, that he would, you know, have sex with her and if he wasn't married and stuff. And she's like, but, but, but because I'm pretty, right? Because I'm pretty. Yeah, he would take her in a manly fashion. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, and I think I think what's so cool and what's so subversive about her, like I said, is that she has all of these, like you're, what you're talking about, she has a lot of masculine qualities in that, and what she does is masculine, not she has masculine qualities, but she is not in traditionally feminine roles, um, and she is so sex positive, but she's also very deeply feminine within herself. And I think you're right, Erin, how important it is for people to see that, that those two ideas can coexist. Yeah. Yeah. Carla. That's one thing that for me was so significant is that because being a young Mexican woman being told growing up, you have to be more feminine. You know, you're never going to catch a man. If you're not more feminine, you have to wear makeup. You have to wear lipstick. You, you can't, uh, expect to ever get married if you're the boy that you are because it's who you want to be to see somebody like Kaylee who embraces herself no matter what that means for her in the moment whether she wants to wear the floofy dress or the dirty overalls whether she wants to play in oil or have her hair played with by Inara, none of that is wrong and none of that means that you're unwantable or undesirable or unworthy. This is just who you are. And that's the kind of thing that that not only endeared her to me, but that also made me so much more comfortable with myself is that Kaylee was all of those things that I already was, that people were telling me that you're not allowed to be. And, you know, if if uh, if I weren't dead inside, I would be crying right now because that's exactly the kind of thing that would make me cry is is feeling so validated and knowing that it's not me, it's the world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to Inara. And I want to talk a lot about um, how this show um, portrays sex work and a lot of the duality of feminism and misogyny and stuff that goes into this character, because I think it's really, really fascinating. Carla. Yeah, I, that's one of those things with, again, Joss Whedon, where, um, you know, it's the early 2000s, and we're kind of climbing into the idea of feminism being okay, I guess. As a society, we're accepting that it's okay for women to like have things like rights and agency and, you know, to own their sex- sexuality without having um, men approve or disapprove because honestly who cares about these cis hetero dudes but it's still at like the nascent point where it's femininity and feminism as told by a man and where all of these feminist stories are told through a man's lens and what it looks like in firefly set in the year 2517 is that woohoo sex work is not only legal, but it's considered to be an elevated status where you're a legitimate business person. You're somebody of, of stature, but you're still looked down upon because of the nature of the work and not looked down upon by society in general, but looked down upon by your protagonist. And, you know, like, like Meg said earlier, yes, Mal doesn't see an issue with, um, with, Inara's friends in the brothel later on in the um, in the season 
and I can say the season because there's the one. But um, when it comes to Inara, it's all of this gross possessiveness and all of this. Well, you know, I'm the only one who can call her who can call her a whore, Atherton. You know, like I will, you know, slay you at dawn for calling my whore a whore. And what is that? You know, like, what does that say to us as an audience? What does it say to the people receiving this pseudo-feminist message told to us by a cis-hetero dude that, again, uh, a woman's body and her agency is only uh, hers if a man says that it's okay and it has to be the right man. And in this case, it's Mal, who is the Joss Whedon proxy I will... You know, that's one of those like hills I will die on is that Mal is the, the Joss Whedon proxy. That's who Joss Whedon wanted himself to be. You know, like if you have um, Dean Winchester wanting to be a cowboy and John Barjovi wanting to be a cowboy, Mal Reynolds is Joss Whedon wanting to be a space cowboy. And it's really amazing to me how, you know, we were kind of... Uh, just so giddily embracing of it at first. And that's one of the things that, that I thank the internet for is for all those like little niggling thoughts in my mind. Like, I don't feel that I'm so super comfortable with this. And then having people out there being like, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Like, this is kind of weird. I'm not so sure that I'm okay with it either. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but, but back to Inara, because I, I think Inara was such a great character she she was so well-rounded so interesting because she was like i said before enigmatic you couldn't really get to know her because she had this facade and it was a facade that was trained she went to the academy for companions she had all of these rituals in place that she performed and then to an amazing level to where she was one of the most coveted companions and it wasn't just because She's a beautiful woman with a beautiful body and a beautiful ship. You know, she had all the right rugs in place, I guess. But she is also cunning and smart and can read people. You see that when she uh, confronts Saffron, as Saffron is, you know, doing her tour de seduction where she's like trying to seduce Mal trying to seduce Wash which was hilarious to me that anybody would try to seduce Wash as he's sitting there like non-stop mooning over Zoe like read the room read the room the legs you can't legs and the lambitos and the corpsified anything um but yeah uh Inara clocks her right away like nope she's a faker I'm gonna try and uh avert disaster and whatever because she can read her she knows who she is but Inara can also read all kinds of people this is why um when she uh, this is why she uh, doesn't accept Atherton's cushy proposal of staying on roll with him and being exclusive to him because she knows who he is this is why when um they're in that other world and she's with that um that dude whose name I can't remember because he's the son of the other dude Help me, Meg. You'll know this. I I know who you're talking about. I can't remember his name, but it was when he it was in Heart of Gold. When I'm pretty sure, no, it was Janestown. No. It yes, was Janestown because uh-huh. he was like the governor's son, and he was a 26 yes. year old virgin, and she was just like a virgin is just a state of being, right? Like I love Which, you. by the way, like 
I was a 26-year-old virgin, so you know what? It's cool, dude. We're cool 26-year-old virgins together. Um, but she said to him, you know, I'm here for you. If your father had tried to contract me for himself, I would have said no. Again, she can read people and their intentions and who they are. So, you know, it, it really, because you can see all of that, again, it made it um, more comforting to know that she had her eye on Mal. Because, like, Mal can't be all that bad if Inara is into him. And yes, I know sometimes, like, the heart wants what it wants. And sometimes it's a, it's a toxic douche with a superiority complex. But I feel like Inara could kind of get past that. And, uh, and see to her own best interests and I think that she did with Mal and if again so if if she sees more in Mal than that for me back when I was watching it at first it indicated to me that there's more to this dude than what we're seeing and beyond that you know like I said she's uh there's a lot of artifice to wade through but the one I think genuine moment that we really get with her is in Heart of Gold where uh, she finds out that Mal has just slept with her friend. And she's like, okay, cool, dude. All right, have a good time. High five. Goes to her room and sobs on the floor in the most undignified way. And I don't say that in a, you know, in a negative way. It's just undignified by her standards and by her training. She's sitting there sobbing. Um, and that's not the her that we've come to know so far. So, yeah, she was an enigma and fascinating character and Meg, Meg will get into more of the the trivia of what was um kind of uh Joss Whedon's headcanon for her to which I think it's awful but it's also very Joss Whedon like to take a wonderful um I'm not giving it away Meg I'm just saying to take a, a wonderful feminine character and kind of uh reduce it to ashes in a way but I I, I loved Inara and she's uh, I think pretty much every character for, except for Jane might be my favorite character now that I think about it. <laughs> Jane might be my like even Badger I like better than I like Jane. <laughs> Meg? Well that's because it's Mark Shepard. Like you can't not yeah, love Mark Shepard. <laughs> um, as far as Inara goes I always she always made me think of and I, I'm sure it was intentional um, of like classic old school geisha kind of same ceremonies and and training and tradition and that kind of aloofness and that unattainable air to her. Uh, and I'm not I'm not talking about like the caricatures of the geishas. I'm talking about like traditional pre world pre world war two probably at the at the latest kind of geishas um and i always thought that was really interesting i always kind of this was one of the things that made me sad that we didn't get more and we didn't learn more about the guild and about anara's background and her training because that's it's unfortunate she's really the one that we don't get really any kind of background in and i think that's kind of intentional in that in for the first season of the show, I think we would have explored more about her had the show continued. Um, but it felt like kind of a disservice, but it felt like a, a it felt like a choice 
to keep her mysterious is because because of the nature of of her work as a companion um as far as like the the when i was talking to carla about the duality of the feminism and and misogyny with nara is because nara is such a strong wonderful character and deserves so much more and the thing that makes me so angry and makes me feel like jazz Whedon is such a giant misogynist in so many ways is he builds these amazing female characters and does terrible things to them and we didn't see it because and thank god because fox did one good thing in regards to this show one of joss whedon's like storyline ideals ideas for anara was that she would inject herself with a serum that would poison anyone who raped her i'm sorry trigger warning i'm so sorry <laughs> um it's okay i'm gonna put warnings in the beginning okay of the show. Uh, but it would poison anybody who raped her. And one of her storylines is that she would get gang raped. But thankfully, those rapes would happen off screen. Yay. Um, and we would just see her in a room full of dead men. And that just... Before any of the other bullshit with Joss Whedon, reading that, because um, that came out in like 2014, that made me... So I don't know if it was before or after, but that was just so disgusting to me because he doesn't do that to any of the other female characters. We don't see anything where Zoe is going to get attacked. And not that I'm saying that I want any of the female characters to get raped or have that. But the sex, the sex worker, she's the one who's going to get gang raped. And she's the one who he wanted to have a terminal illness and ha- and give her these tragic, awful storylines and it just was so disgusting <laughs> because he saves all of this. And not that, again, not that I think that the other female characters should have these these awful storylines any more <laughs> than Anara does. But it felt especially punitive that the sex worker is the one who gets especially the gang rape storyline that he wanted to do. Um because sex workers are people <laughs> like and and it just it it makes me so mad it makes me really frustrated um i got really frustrated in kind of heart of gold i love the fact that the they in heart of gold um and i can't remember her name mandy i think it was was the it was like this really caring madam and, and saw her workers as human beings who deserve to be treated with respect and as human beings because sex work is work and i think personally it's it's legitimate work i'm i will not get on my soapbox about legislating morality right now but (laughs) i think consenting adults are allowed to do what they want to do with each other keywords being consenting and adults um but I think it was just, and that's what kind of made me feel like it was so frustrating that he would make these beautiful female characters and even good male care. He would make good male characters and then make them do shitty things. And he would make beautiful female, and not even just in this show, in general. He creates wonderful female characters and then does awful things to them. Thankfully, those two things that happened... <laughs> or that he wanted to happen didn't actually happen in the show. And I will forever be grateful a little bit to Fox for nixing that idea because just a tiny bit, (laughs) because I don't think I would ever be able to watch this show if, if that had actually happened. 
But again, I, I love Anara. <laughs> Carl, you said so. Carl and I are one brain. We spent hours, literally hours, talking about this show. So I feel like we're going to just kind of be the same mind meld, except I'm a lot softer on Mal than she is. <laughs> Pulls up my soapbox. Um, <laughs> just to, in the interest of full disclosure, I am a former sex worker. I have spoken at Women's March about sex worker rights. And I also speak a lot at conventions. Just an aside about Badger, just a little non sequitur. I have had the amazing blessing to have met Mark Shepard several times. And it's kind of funny because he's been one of my biggest celebrity crushes. His very first appearance on X-Files I'm, I, I, I was just like completely smitten and I had been smitten ever since. And I got to meet him, uh, a friend of mine as a, as a thing bought me at a supernatural convention in a way at, like this round table to sit with him and a few other hang out for an hour. And he actually had heard of me because <laughs> I am the, uh, former madam who test again, testified against CU during the football rape scandal and he actually had heard of the case and had had heard of me, and we actually wound up talking quite a bit. And and then I now go around to different conventions and I speak at cons and and host uh, you know panels and stuff like that. And so he actually remembers me, and we actually get to chat. And it's kind of weird because I still am all like shuffling my feet like a teenage girl going hi and and then but at the same time on the outside going so so you know <laughs> but um anyway uh so mark shepherd is is with us by the way on the whole sex work is work thing um but one of the one of the panels i host at a lot of different cons is one, it's been called different things, but basically it's sex work and sci-fi and fantasy type stuff. And I always say, let's get the elephant out of the room and let's get it all out of our system. I'm about to bag on Firefly. So everybody say, ooh, and the whole audience goes, ooh, because you don't ever say anything negative about Firefly ever at a convention if you want to live. Um, (laughs) And then I go on about how everyone thinks it's very forward thinking to have these companions and this, this stuff and how, how they're idealized and considered this higher caste within their social structure, which I think is amazing. I also think it's interesting that the main care, the primary character, supposedly Mal just completely quashes that first thing by calling her a whore. Um, (laughs) But um, I use it as a parallel between decriminalization and legalization with legalization of sex work, which a lot of people push for. They don't realize that if you can be legal at something, you can be illegal at something. So if they say you have to see a doctor every month or you have to do this or that or have all these rules and all this stuff. Well, what if you are live in a rural area and can't get to the doctor one month or something like that? And then you're illegal and can either not work until you can have another appointment or re-register or however they set it up or kind of like in heart of gold, which by the way, just the title heart of gold, the hooker with a heart of gold trope drives me crazy. (laughs) 
uh, Heart of Gold, uh, Nandy was a companion. Actually, one of the best companions, she said. That's how she knew her. But she dropped out of being a companion entirely because it was so restrictive and all the rules they had to follow and all the stuff. But then by reducing herself to a plain old regular prostitute, she then didn't have the same social status and have the same privileges as being a companion, including being, you know, so so they were like, you know, I'm not a companion. I'm a whore. And that's okay with me because I don't have to do all this other bullshit. And so to me, legalization is a lot like being a companion. There's still, you have to go back every so often and see a doctor. She said, you have to go through tons and tons of training and all this stuff, which, you know, in the end, or you could be a whore and just not have, and be yourself and not have to do all that stuff which to me feels more like decriminalization. Um, It's just a job. (laughs) It's just a job. It's just a job. And explaining that to people is sometimes they just have so much stigma around it. And it is very realistic because that, that in Janestown, when she sees that young virgin, they, they open up and things happen the way they happen. And at the end, he says, he said something snarky about, I think, the clock, she probably messes with the clocks to short them on time. And I was like, yeah, twist that knife, get that dig in there. And that's actually realistic. Um, that that wasn't, that wasn't him. That was a different client. Oh, was saw. it a different client? Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I really liked, I really liked the government. Okay, good. Government. Yes, Sorry. Good. I'm glad that I, I had that wrong then. But um, be that as it may, you're right that, that she was probably... She was a complex character and an enigma, I think, in part to make her mysterious and stuff like that. But even that is kind of a trope. And I don't know. I think they could have fleshed out her character a lot more than just being a sex worker. Um, I love that she was a strong person. I love that she was intelligent and independent and was able to set her own clients and stuff like that, which is great. Um, but I got to say one of the things that was very telling for me, which is kind of a silly, silly, silly thing is in Serenity. Everybody got these badass weapons during the big boss fight at the end. And she got a crossbow and I was like, God, you know, come on. She's supposed to like be trained with, with swords and all this stuff. And they hand her a crossbow. I was like, come on. Well, cro- crossbows are really badass weapons. It was they, worse when she had the Derringer, like the teeny <laughs> tiny little weapon in one of the episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just, I wish they had done more with her character other, the, other than make her the sex worker that was very independent and da 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 da. And, and, and that's all great. And that's definitely a step in the right direction. It really, really is. But I had a lot more respect for Nandy. I did because she was her own woman. She um, lived her life the way she wanted to and was not ashamed of it and was honest, too, between making the difference between being a companion, which was this lofty position versus being a menial whore. And yet she could have been the best companion, one of the greatest priestess, they said, or, or whatever, and instead, she chose the lowly. So to her, being in that lofty position was 
was a negative thing. It was not worth all the crap that they had to go through in order to follow all the rules. And um, so I even have, <laughs> I have a secret, super secret Facebook group for uh, sex workers that are nerds and we share beams and stuff like that. And it's called Nandy's place. Um, and <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a big firefly fan. And, and a lot of it, it comes from the background having been a sex worker myself and thinking it's so cool. And when I first saw the show, I was so thrilled and so exhilarated that, that sex workers were, were so well-respected, but at the same time, I was just like, Hmm, there were just little weird things that didn't quite, I felt a little uncomfortable with and a little itchy around the edges down in the back of my brain. And then when they did heart of gold, I was like, okay, that's what it is. And, and, was able to say, okay, this is the sex worker character that I wanted. Um, but, you know, like I said, it is a step in the right direction as far as kind of destigmatizing sex work. But at the same time, it still reinforces a lot of stereotypes, which are great stereotypes. But being Asian, for instance, I get a lot of the stereotypes that are racist about oh, you must be smart. You know, Asians are super smart and da, 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 da. I'm like, that's still racist. You know, I hate math. <laughs> I'm no good at math. <laughs> and so, and, and so even if it's a quote unquote positive stereotype, it's still a stereotype. And it would have been nice to see a little more complexity in there. And uh, God, I have so many things that I could go on and on about that, but uh, all that and decriminalize not legalize and mark shepherd is a golden god <laughs> yeah and and next year um pasha will be on we're going to talk about um sci-fi and sex work so we are going to have an episode next year about that we're actually going to do a lot of um sexually explicit episodes just as a heads up for everybody next year uh because i think it is important especially when you're talking about feminism to talk about that stuff too so we will be talking about that next year and then sarah your thoughts i like anara's character i like how she uh portrays a lot of the hindu and indian culture especially the kama sutra she's got like the symbol above her bed that symbolizes the Kama Sutra. So it's kind of cool to know that in 2517, Kama Sutra is still running strong after centuries of, <laughs> of existence, which is kind of cool. Um, and I, 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 I love and appreciate the ceremonies and routines and rituals that she, she tries to go through. But in, in regards to the sex work dynamic of it, I feel like her position was created specifically only for the rich. And you see that in every single person that she chooses to be with. Yeah, she gets to choose who she's with, but these are like high-end affluent people. She's not going to these backwater society places. And so it, that really plays on the dynamic of, is she a quote-unquote whore or is she like a legitimate companion? And so I think they created that dynamic specifically to make it okay for the rich. But if she's going to be participating in any activities with anybody else, then she's a whore. And so it, it creates this duality that still is not fitting completely for me. Um, but I do like that how uh, her 
position and her affluence actually gives Mal and everybody else so much more access. And it's a, it's an interesting twist in how uh, how that creates more opportunities, having somebody that is a registered companion and they are very affluent, et cetera, and they can gain access to other places that most people cannot go, which I think is also a manipulative tactic on Mal's side of things too. Uh, he's um, optimizing on an opportunity that just presented itself to him and uh, whether he wants to admit it or not. And um, Inara's character as a whole, I really, I really like how incredibly complex she is and how she can maintain that composed, beautiful uh, femininity, something I will never be ever in my whole life. And I have no desire to be that. <laughs> But I can definitely appreciate that and how she really, um, she's okay with showing her emotions without being too honest about it. Not very direct, especially with Mal. And she's, she just comes across as very present and uh, kind and um I like, I really like her character. So she's, she's very this flamboyant, um, colorful creature that exists on that ship. And she adds this flair that's so, so necessary to that rugged um, country sci-fi environment that they're all in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have much to add because I think everybody, oh, sorry, Pasha, you wanted to add something really quickly before we go on. I was just going to say, before it just now slipped my brain, of course, um, that, I mean, it is a job. So, of course, she's going to pick rich clients because that's what pays better. Because <laughs> I know that's what I would do. <laughs> oh, I hear you. I hear you. I'd go for the rich ones, too. But they're also not, they're also the most shady, too. I love that she has played sex workers in other roles as well and I love in Deadpool I love her character so much because it is the most realistic portrayal of a sex worker that I I think I've ever seen in any movie like ever and so uh I dig it and I think that it was much better written I think than um because I agree with you Sarah I think that she was written in just to be kind of this little hanging lantern on it that so that Joss Wheaton could have a, a sex worker in there somewhere that he could he could then project all of like you said the gang rapes and stuff like that because I mean she's a sex worker she should be used to that right but um yeah yeah um it leaves me feeling a little icky but at the same time I love her character I love her character I love that 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 Marina has has chosen to play strong sex workers and so that and she's really beautiful so you know that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah she is she is really beautiful but you know I I've said this before I think in past episodes and I've said this a lot the one big lacking big big hole in feminism is for some reason feminists don't think they should include sex workers in feminism. They don't think that, you know, a lot of feminists look down on sex workers. Um, you'll even see it in, 
you know, I love Parks and Rec. I love Leslie Nope. But the one episode where they go to the strip club and she has that whole thing outside the strip club of just, you know, I, I don't know. She was trying to act like she was okay with it, but you could tell she was looking down at everybody that worked there. And that's always been a big issue with me because if you're going to be feminist, you have to include everybody, every woman, every woman is included in that. So the fact that so many people look down on sex workers, including women, that's what I'm talking to right now is women, just infuriates me. Um, yeah, Pasha, you want to add something? Just that I'm I'm 51 years old, so I'm of a different generation than 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 you young ladies. But um, so I was raised in that whole second wave feminist generation. And so it frustrates me so much for my super intelligent, we're talking professors, we're talking extremely well-read, amazing independent women still consider anything, any vocation within the sex work community um, to be demeaning and um, to be sexualizing women and, and objectifying women and, and so on and so forth. And it's just, it's just sad that, I mean, that with the our body, our choice thing, it's like our body, our choice, except when you want to make money, <laughs> then, it's, then no, 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 then, then you're feeding into male, you know, um, one of the proudest moments I had, because I was reluctant to do Women's March, because they have been always been kind to tra- my trans, uh, you know, siblings out there, and, but I did it, and part of the reason I did it was I got how many was it that you're like 400,000 people to cheer in favor of sex work. So it was like for medical care, abortions, my body. And then I held my hand and everybody yelled my choice and for da, 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 my body, my choice. And then it did a few like that. And at the end I said to pay the rent, my body and everybody yelled my choice. And I was like, ah, gotcha. And I, so I think that that's characters like Inara and shows like Firefly, like I said, they could have done so much more with it. And maybe they would have if they had had the opportunity to continue. Um, but it's definitely a step in, the, in a, a step in the right direction. And so I'm very grateful. It's, it's, it's certainly adds to the show more than it takes away by far. Okay, well, let's move on. Um, and time-wise, we're going to combine these two. And these are the last two things because of time that we're going to talk about. Um, so we're going to miss a lot of the other things. Um, but let's talk about the mystery of book and then briefly about Jane. Um, Carla? Okay, yeah. Um, about Regarding Jane, um, I hate him. Anyway, about book, I think he's a fascinating character. And again, one of those, it's a shame that we didn't get to learn more about him. And it's also a shame that in the movie Serenity, he just gets killed off. It's like, oh, okay, we don't need to learn anything else about Book. Hey, you can end right here. Um, and I've I read, uh, and I think partly thanks to Meg, I've read a lot more about Ron Glass and his uh, portrayal of Book and what Book was meant to be, etc. But he was he would have been a really fascinating character to get to know down the line. Because he does have so much mystery surrounding him. You know, why is he, when he's wounded and th- that alliance ship comes by, why is he given this preferential treatment to have um, uh, all of this extra care? Meg's looking at me like, I know, I know, I know. And she will get there when it's your turn, Meg. Chill. Um, 
And, you know, how does he know so much about weapons and about ships and about all of these things that you don't expect a shepherd to know and a shepherd being, you know, like a priest type. Um, how does this dude know so much about all of these like weird contrabandy things? I don't know, but it's fascinating. But he does reference his time in the Abbey. He doesn't reference his time before the Abbey. And that's what's fascinating. You know, what happened before he got there? What made him leave the Abbey? What is it that uh, that makes him this um, mysterious person who we know so little about, but in whom we're so invested? Because he is a lovely character. He grounds the crew in so many ways. And um, I, I think, you know, in the early 2000s especially, there was so much thinking about God and about what God means in our lives. Because you have shows like um, uh, Joan of... Arcadia, you had shows like Supernatural, which were coming into their own and with their quest of, uh, you know, does God exist? What's up with the angels? You know, what all of these things. Um, so it, it just made perfect sense within the time to have a, a character like Book, who is uh, a man of faith and a man of the cloth, but also he's a man. Therefore, he is flawed. In which ways, we don't really get to know. Book is a fascinating person, not just character, person. And if there was one character um, that I'd really like to get to know more in depth, it would be Book. And I feel like we are really shortchanged, even within those 14 episodes. He's the one uh, that we kind of knew the least about. And yes, yeah, some of it, of course, is, is, of course, is by design, because we have... Uh, mysterious characters all over because we have River, we have Inara, we have Book, we have uh, we know so little about Kaylee other than what's shown up front. We, who knows what else Joss Whedon's twisted mind might have conjured about Kaylee. But there is also, I feel like a lot of uh, racism tied into the um, the portrayal of, of or the depiction of, of Book that we get because um, he's the only black man on the crew and uh, there's that moment where he has his hair out and River flips out when she sees him like that. And it was very uncomfortable for me because that's what his hair grows out of his head like. It's not like he made it spooky. This is just what a black man's hair looks like when it's not tied up. And what kind of message does it send to black men and black boys and black people in general, that your hair, when it's let loose out of these uh, uh, kind of white Eurocentric constraints, it's scary. It's terrifying to this innocent white girl. How could you do this to this innocent white girl with your hair that flows free from your the roots of your head? Um, and it made me very uncomfortable. It really did. Um, as somebody who has struggled with her hair, and um, yeah, because in addition to being Mexican, my dad's Haitian. So I have the 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 black curly tight hair. So I struggled for my entire life with acceptance of my natural hair as it grows out of my head. And to see that as something to be ashamed of, as something that must be tied down and tamed. It solidified my my, uh, I guess, idea that I don't deserve to exist as I am. So you have like all, all these great messages in the show about like, yes, you can be 
a nerd like Kaylee, you can be soft like Kaylee and also kind of um, quote-unquote man-type like Kaylee, but you're still racialized as black, so tame your hair because you are unwanted. Um, And there's, you know, uh, you have Zoe, who you would think that I could identify with as a fellow Latina who is racialized black. Um, I identified with her less because, again, you know, personality-wise, I was more like Zoe, but uh, Zoe's hair was mostly tied back in the show the few times that it was let loose it was loose in a an acceptable fashion and the way that you could go into job interview and you know maybe get a job um so it was really insulting to me then it, it was a, a visceral punch to the gut to me to see river's reaction and zoe's asking shepherd um book to tie back his hair to conform with a presentation that would be acceptable to river um, and, uh, and I know that, that I had mentioned, you know, racism in, um, in Firefly and in the fact that we have all of this, uh, mention of Chinese language as being part of the dominant language, but you see no Chinese people. You don't really see Asian people really until you get to the movie Serenity, uh, which was not exactly a popular movie. So, um, it, there are just so many ways in which this racism creeps up and slaps you in the face. And for me, the way that Shepard book is presented was one of the big ones. So, and, and I think that also made me want to get to know him more in a way to kind of pay tribute to this man who brought this character to life who could have been amazing, but was more or less buried by this barrier of he's a black man. We'll get to him when we get to him. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really funny, Carla, because when I, f- when I first watched that scene about books, hair, many, many moons ago, um, before I'd really kind of started educating myself a lot more. Um, I thought it was hilarious when I first saw it. Um, just because it's played for a comedic effect. Uh, and my most recent watch, I was just like, it, it, it made me feel deeply uncomfortable to, to kind of see it from my own education. Um, I love book. I think when I've ever watched this show, well, for the first many years that I watched this show, I've always desperately wanted to know more about Book. I've always wanted to know what is going on in his background. And again, I feel like I feel like there only being 14 episodes is such a disservice to most of the characters. These are all really, really interesting characters. Um even even Jane, who I don't like, who I don't like necessarily, is someone who I want to see what makes him tick and where, what, what brought him to that point. Um, if you do want to know about Book's background, I won't spoil it because it's a really fun journey and it actually takes place. So it's called The Shepherd's Tale. It's a graphic novel and it takes place in the time that book is honestly it takes place while book is dying and it goes in flashbacks and you learn his life that way. Um, but to give a little hint, uh, book sees himself in Mal very much. So, and, and to see, yes. So uh, the shepherd's tale, it's one, I think I have it, Carl, I'm not sending it to you. Um, (laughs) 
it's it's a very good graphic novel if you want to hear about if you want to learn about books background and that's one of the things i'm really grateful for um a lot of the graphic novels to kind of fill out this world that we really really missed out a lot on there are a ton of them um i just i i i loved the line where he was telling mal i think it was that he wasn't always a shepherd um it's so interesting when we see like and it's this, and it's kind of an opposite side of the coin as sex workers we see sex workers and we think that's all they are and that's all they've ever been there's nothing else that we need to know about them we see people like book we see clergy people or, or, or religious officials that's all they are they're nothing else there's no other part of them they never had any life before they were born with a frock on <laughs> and that's it and i think I think it's really interesting to kind of see what would lead people to, um, but it's really interesting to see that kind of background and that backstory. And honestly, I would watch it. I would watch a show that was just about book and books backstory and how he came to be on the serenity and how it is that this man who really kind of is wandering in his own sense and, and trying to find his own place in his, in the world can at the drop of a hat be brought onto an alliance ship and taken off of alliance ship with no issues and no questions asked um, and answers to that are in the graphic novel you guys and that's <laughs> so, i mean I, I i i love him so much i mean i have a hard time this was the tougher thing with with having read all of the graphic novels combined to not let them inform kind of what I'm talking about on the show. So I just I just remember watching the show and every time I've watched the show I just want to learn more about book. I love his relationships with everyone on the ship. I love his weird relationship that he has with Jane. Like it's it's He's the kind of like shepherd or clergy person that I would kind of be more drawn to in that he was just accepting of everybody. He he took him a took him a minute with Anara which is annoying and gross but I mean it's Joss Whedon, so you know. <laughs> um but his really kind of individual relationships that he had with with each of the characters. And that's one thing that's really interesting about the show is is the character the relationships the characters have with each other and how they're very, very different from each other. Um, I did like his relationship with River for the most part. It was in the same episode, though, when she keeps trying to correct his Bible. And that was really endearing to me <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, so again, read The Shepherd's Tale if you want to know more about book. Um. I agree that her his I would have loved for the TV show to have gone on and done a whole thing like Shepherd's Tale where where you know you get to find out more about him. I think that trying to wedge that all into the movie when there was a whole other the main plot and stuff like that, I think it would have been a disservice to his character. And maybe it's unpopular for me to say this, but given the circumstances that we weren't going to actually have the time to explore his background and give it the weight and time and finesse that it deserved. I kind of liked that. He was just like, 
I want to know, da 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 da. And he's like, no, you don't have, I, I need to know this. And he's like, no, you don't. <laughs> and I think that that was just kind of hanging a lantern on it for the audience and the fans. But given the circumstances, I think that was the right way to do that because it just makes you thirsty to go out and, and get the graphic novel and learn more. And it, it creates another layer of, of, you know, just complexity that you wouldn't necessarily expect. I don't know. That's just probably just me being, you know, not as well-educated in film and all that, but given that it was not, um, we weren't going to have the time allowed to learn all that stuff about him. Um, just being able to say, no, you don't, you don't have to know that. I, I, I kind of dig it. And I really appreciate you talking about the racism in the show and about the Chinese, uh, being Asian myself, we always kind of joked about it. My, my Asian friend, a Korean, actually, we used to joke about there's, there's, you know, they speak Chinese and they talk about, they have all this culture mixed in and yet you never see any of us. And we we're like, huh, that's, that's interesting. But, but you do get to see one Asian woman, very stereotypically, of course, serving as a sex worker in a brothel because Asian women are almost always sex workers <laughs> or some little mousy oh I don't know you know and so <laughs> so um and I think that books representation was was along those same lines uh just in the sense that you're right with with his hair uh being natural that was somehow a bad thing that was negative it was scary um you know and so that kind of a different point of view I have about all this is I was raised in a very religious home that was not healthy. And so anytime I see a preacher type character uh, being a little where it basically says, okay, I'll reserve the sermon, but you know, I don't approve. I'm just always kind of like, Ew. so, and that was not, <laughs> that's my stuff not his stuff his character stuff um and i wish that of course we all wish the show had actually continued and and we could have learned more so i'm definitely going to look up that graphic novel thank you um i think everybody kind of skipped over jane but um that's okay uh i have kind of i thought he was next i'm sorry no it's, no it's okay and I, I, I know that Either way, um, we can talk about Buck or Jane, whatever. Um, so with Buck, I have my own little theory about who he was before he became a shepherd. And my assumption is that he worked for the Alliance, fighting in the revolution against Mao. And that's why he gets his own secret access to the Alliance shuttle and no questions asked. I'm sure he was some sort of like specialty sniper of some sort. I mean, he knows about weapons. He knows about all these things. And and I think the reason why he um, is a shepherd is because he's looking for redemption for all the acts that he committed during combat. And so, and that's very common for um, a lot of service members they come back and they either you find God in the foxhole, man, and that that's a real real thing. And so I'm sure that's that maybe a path that they would have taken him down, showing him 
in in the light of being a former combat expert and seeking redemption but um yeah his his character in and i know you ladies have talked about his hair quite a bit i don't think there was i didn't see it as a racial dynamic in that in that show what i saw it as is um river being extremely high-end spectrum with Asperger's, it was probably very terrifying for her to see something out of a normal situation. So it was probably very jarring for her. And I mean, that's, uh, she was really extremely sensitive in that show. So um, it, it could be two totally different things. I'm not minimizing the racial dynamics at all, but yeah. At the, the unfortunate part about this whole entire show is that we never really got to know the characters as their true potential. We only got 14 episodes, and so we didn't really get to see everybody as to who they are uh, innately or their backstory in a sufficient manner. And it really didn't get good, really got good as it developed over the last few episodes of the season. Carla, I know you wanted to add something on there. Yeah, I'm going to push back on the hair thing. And that's simply because there is a history in entertainment and in society of uh, demonizing black people and their appearance and uh, as they naturally are. So, high, you know, spectrum um, uh, placement or not, I'm sorry, but that was a deeply racially insensitive thing. And that's something that I, as a person who is racialized black, which I think nobody else on this podcast episode is, can tell you from personal experience, from lived experience, it is absolutely a racial thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think if they were going to show something, I mean, they could have had like, they could have had um, <sighs> Keely or, <laughs> sorry, could have had her hair be like, askew from getting up from bed or something like that or something, you know, because yeah, it, it is. I just wanted to say that my son is on social security disability for spectrum issues. And I too uh, have spectrum issues. And I think that, you know, yeah, it is very startling and jarring to see things that they're not familiar with. And, and granted river was an extreme case, but so, so is my son. Uh, He's on disability. And I think that if that were the case, they should have, instead of, and I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot, but I, I, instead of making it about him, he needs to change something about himself and pull his hair and smooth it down and, and whatever, make it less quote unquote frightening or, whatever instead they could have taken that as a way to say okay this is a teachable moment um or or use something else that would not have anything to do with um you know uh, honestly a racist trope that 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 and, and they could have used any number of things and um they they i think that if it were tried to be done today they probably wouldn't have gotten away with it. And I'm glad that things are changing to kind of move away from that. We hope to a certain degree, I hope fingers crossed. Uh, but 
but yeah, I mean, it could have been a thing not only about reducing the racial factor or at least putting that in a more realistic, positive light, but also with someone with mental health issues that could be startled or shocked by something like that. And, and, and it could have been handled better or just not put out there at all. And not have Zoe laugh right after it. Okay. Um, well, the, I think with Jane, I just totally um, didn't even, I just don't even <laughs> like him at all. I have nothing to say about him, really. I think he was a very um, cardboard cutout kind of character. And I don't know if that would have changed if the show had gone on, but he was more like a cardboard cutout of like an uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger almost type of character. I don't know why that popped into my head, but it did. The only time that he was somewhat, somewhat entertaining was in the um, Janestown episode a little bit. You thought that there might've been something more there. Um, but yeah, he just, he was, he was very blah. Um, my least favorite character. And with, with book, you know, it's, it, Religion is a very interesting topic, I think. And and I just wrote down that we're going to do some episode at some point for religion and media. So, yeah. So I think that, you know, we need we need to do a topic on that at some point as well. Because the way it's portrayed sometimes is positive, sometimes negative, sometimes accurate, sometimes not accurate. Um, and I've struggled with religion a lot. And I've had a lot of negative stuff. But then, like, about... About 10 years ago, I went to a church with a pastor that was totally different. And I mean, like covered in tattoos and totally recognized the fact that the church has hurt so many people and actually kept uh, painting up in his office to remind himself every day of all the harm that religion has done to the world and to people. So that was different. That was that was that gave me a different light on it. And, you know, the whole thing with not accepting um, sex workers or um, or being a little bit hesitant with that, what's so ironic about that to me is that Jesus <laughs> accepted sex workers. I mean, that's the thing is Jesus accepted sex workers. So it's like if you don't accept sex workers, then you're not following in Jesus's footsteps, which a lot of Christians, I'm sorry, they don't follow in Jesus's footsteps. Um, because, you know, I think most Christians would persecute Jesus if Jesus were alive today. Um, plus Jesus wasn't white. So that would be another reason they would persecute Jesus. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, getting on a tangent there, but, um, but no, I, I think the book characters would have been interesting to explore more. There is so much that we have not even touched on or covered. Um, and, um, you know, it's a pretty amazing, I just want to say it's pretty remarkable that a show that had only 14 episodes, and I know it has graphic novels and stuff, but 14 episodes and then a movie that you can spend over two hours talking about a show like that, and that it has such a passionate fan base, and that people still love it, and people still discover it. That's pretty remarkable, and that's a pretty remarkable feat. And as many issues as I have with Joss Whedon and stuff it's still pretty amazing the stuff that he has given to the world um i, I so i just i wanted to just say that carlos are you gonna add something i just wanted to say one quick thing which is that uh i didn't 
I, I neglected to add in, in the, the card like notes that we sent you um, that we love the theme song. It is one of the absolute best theme songs of any show. Please continue. Yeah, no, it is. A, I, I agree about the theme song. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up. And, you know, who knows, maybe someday we'll revisit this one. Um, and we'll go around and have everybody close out and just say where they can be found. Um, Carla. Yes, I can be found on pretty much everywhere where old people um, have social media presences. Definitely not Tumblr or TikTok because I am uh, not cool or hip. But Meg and I do have a podcast called Bed, Wet or Behead. We are at Damn Good Time. And uh, you can find us on uh, Spotify, Google um, Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. That's Bed, Wet or Behead podcast. And you can find me and my photography at Carla Temis, that's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S, and on all social media for all people again. And that's also uh, the website. And Meg? Yeah, you can find my personal presence, I guess. Uh, I'm on Twitter at WisconsinAC, W-I-S-C-O-N-S-E-N-N-A-C-H. And Carla didn't mention this, but Bed, Wed, and Behead, if you haven't heard before, is where we invade your fandom, pick three characters, and play Fuck, Mary Kill with them and do character analysis. And we just did our Firefly, uh, like Carla mentioned. So, yeah. <laughs> and Pasha. Uh, you can find me, actually the best, I have my personal stuff up on like, uh, you know, on old people's social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even barely somewhat. Um, those are usually my name, Pasha Eve or uh, Hapa Posh. Hapa is, is, is H-A-P-A-P-A-S-H, I think is how I spell it. Uh, but the best way to reach me, actually, the, the, and my biggest presence is through our nonprofit organization, Parasol Patrol. Um, and I know Aaron loves it when I plug Parasol Patrol. Uh, we, shield, <laughs> we shield uh, kids and young people at LGBTQIA plus events and also BIPOC rallies and marches and that sort of thing from protesters. Uh, and we're talking like legit, like Proud Boys, TWP, like legit queuing on like real real jerks uh and so that is on all social media stuff um at parasolpatrol.org or parasolpatrol.org or on facebook especially uh at parasol patrol um and this is aaron you can follow me on twitter at e april beauty the e and the a and the b are capitalized be sure to like the show on facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on twitter at fandom thing pod no it's in that one on instagram at it's a fandom thing pod if you have any show notes feedback anything you wanted to discuss about firefly feel free to reach out to us via email at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com and also, please rate and review us. I keep forgetting to mention this, but please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps us get found in that big wide world of podcasts. And next week, we are going to be talking about Harry Potter. And this is something that your host has no knowledge of, really. Um, <laughs> I've seen one Harry Potter movie. So it's going to be the panel basically talking about it. I'm going to sort myself and, you know, whatever that means beforehand and who knows if it'll be accurate or not and of course we're probably going to talk a lot about 
death of the author, which is really appropriate with that one and the issues with the author. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.